Hi, and welcome to episode 19 of that podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And I'm Taylor. And that was Taylor Otwell. We've got a special guest with us today. Um, we decided to invite Taylor onto the show because uh, he fits our tagline very well. He's a programmer, he's an entrepreneur, and he's also a father. And uh, I think Bo's been uh, getting a little bit more into the Laravel side of things. So we thought it'd be quite exciting to have him on in there and chat to him. But uh, before we get into any of that, Bo, do we have any uh, shout-outs for the podcast? Um, we don't have a lot of shout-outs, actually. Uh, we do have one from Lee Davis, who uh, m- uh, mentioned us to uh, have us not mention our mentions. So I made sure and told him we would mention us not mentioning our mentions when we mention our mentions. So thank you, Lee. And yes, I'm glad you have a Walkman that can uh, fast-forward through things. So or even Walkmans can do that, rather. So. Otherwise, there hasn't actually been a lot of podcast news. Uh, we've we actually haven't recorded in like four or five weeks. I think. No, that's right. It's been yeah. a while. Um, you've had you've had family illness issues and and stuff like that. And I've been at conferences for. I was I think I was gone for like two weeks straight. So we just weren't able to connect very well. So yeah, yeah, hmm. we've had a, we've actually had the chicken pox in this house. Well, only the kids like, but um, it's weird. Um, so uh, the kids' cousins, my uh. On my side of my family, they, they had it, and uh, we went. We all we wanted to do was keep our kids away before Rowan's birthday, because we didn't want to have him for his birthday. But then we kind of like said, "Yeah, go, go get the chicken pox." Um, <laughs> and they kind of they both spent the same sort of similar amount of time with them, but only Rowan seemed to contract it at first. Um, so that was kind of annoying because it kind of meant Rowan had the chicken pox for a week. Then we had a week like getting back to normal and then Evie started with it afterwards so Rowan caught it from his cousins but Evie kind of got it from Rowan uh, so it's been mm. three and a half weeks now since that started and it it, it kind of just I don't know it just gets in the way of everything you know the kids can't go to daycare they can't go to restaurants pubs they can't go to uh, you know like soft play facilities or anything like that and kind of makes things not only is it hard because you know, you got to. They want to be out of the house and stuff, but also just tiring them out is really difficult without those kinds of activities. So yeah, been a tough few weeks for us. Yeah, we we haven't actually gone through that with Luke yet, and not really looking forward to it. But I thought I, I don't even remember hearing about anyone having chicken pox since Luke's been born. Like that hasn't been an it hasn't been a thing. So I don't know. I know when I uh, when I got it, I think I was in maybe seventh grade, eighth grade. So I got it pretty late. So it's great that. that it's great <laughs> that uh, your kids got got through it earlier. That's uh, pretty cool. Do you have a vaccine over there? Uh, not for chickenpox, I don't think. At least I don't think so. I I don't recall us having that. So, and I don't think Luke's gotten one. Like right. we have all the list of all the shots and everything, but I I don't remember one for chickenpox. I think I would have perked up with that. Like, hey, I didn't know you could get a vaccine for that now. Okay. Have, have your I, kids? I think the vaccine. I think the vaccine is just playing with other kids with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have your kids have it? Had it, Taylor? Uh, we have not had chicken pox. We, uh, see, yeah, that's one thing we haven't had. And I can't remember if they got the vaccine for that or not. We've had, a, I don't know, just a bunch of other random kid sicknesses, but not that one. <laughs> right. How, how old are your kids actually? So my boy James is five and I have a daughter, Victoria, who is three. So they're still pretty small. James will start kindergarten, uh, this fall and Victoria will go to, She's going to do just like two mornings a week of kind of preschool. So it won't be um 
she's kind of a mama's girl, so it won't be too big of a change for her. Mm, cool. Yeah, uh, my my son's Luke, and he's four. He just turned four in January, so uh, we're not we're not looking forward to school this year because uh, he won't be five until next year. So, so we have we have another year and a half, I guess, before school gets to gets to start for him. Um. So yeah. Uh, otherwise, there hasn't been any other podcast news, uh, and we've been gone, so we haven't been able to talk about all the stuff that's gone on for the last couple of weeks. But maybe we'll we'll save that mostly for another episode, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, just general news. Um, let's see here. Did you get did Did you you recorded an episode of a podcast, right? Another podcast. Oh yeah, right? I did. Published? I uh, I spoke to Adam Watham for Full Stack Radio mm-hmm. uh, about a week ago, I think. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's out yet. Uh, if it okay. even does uh, make it out, uh, you never know. It might just uh, cut it. And leave it out completely because oh. uh, <laughs> I say I felt so weird on that. It was um, like a totally different to being on this on this show. And I know it's kind of like I'm I was like the co-host of this show, but we do come on here and we just talk, um, mm-hmm. and I can say whatever I like really. Whereas I felt like I was being Adam was talking to me because he thought I had something sensible to say about things, um, which <laughs> you know, which kind of like. It put me on the spot a bit more, a bit like um, when you go and do like a conference talk or something. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a certain level of expectation, um, yeah, which made it made me feel awkward. But yeah, I think it went okay. I was it was very opinionated in, um, in my kind of style of um, I have opinions about things, but I don't really try to uh, tell people how to do stuff. Uh, if you see what I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. I think it went okay. That's cool. Um, I was mentioned on a podcast. Uh, uh, Margaret Staples was on the Lady Loves Tech podcast, and I heard that um, there was a shout out to me, so I checked that out. That was pretty cool. So, uh, if you're interested in hearing more about her, um, you can check out Lady Loves Tech, L A D Y L U V S Tech. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Sounds like an interesting podcast. I think they're I think it's from someone in C- in the Seattle area, so it looks like they're picking up some people and. Um, she just recently started picking up some PHP people. So she's talked to two, two women, uh, developers that are PHP people from the Seattle area in the last you know month or so. So it could be a cool thing to check out if anyone's looking for a little more diversity in their, their podcast listening, it could be a pretty cool thing to check out. Yeah. Sounds cool. Uh, Margaret's actually writing a game, um, in PHP. I do. Have you heard much about Brune game? No. Uh, Brune? No, I mean, I've. So I've only I've only ever kind of glanced at it when Margaret's mentioned it. Cause I think we we both met Margaret for the first time in uh, Portland, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I kind of follow her and things. And I was, it's one of those things where it sounds kind of cool that she's building a game. And I always go and look at kind of like the landing page, but mm-hmm. I don't play games all that much in it or or anymore anyway. And I've never I've yeah. I've not taken the that next step. I've not been suckered in by the marketing, if you see what I mean. So I don't actually know yeah. anything about it. Yeah. Why well, I. I um, I haven't really looked into it, but I've heard a little bit about it. And um, the the interesting thing to me is that the back end is written in PHP, mm. which seems uh, interesting to me for like a big big RPG, massively multiplayer type thing, uh, being written in PHP. Um, and she's writing it all in Symphony framework. And it's kind of as from what it sounds like, it's how she's learning Symphony is basically writing a game, uh, which seems like an interesting challenge to to me to be having your first Symphony. Uh, experience be writing a game which is something that mm. i haven't seen a lot of people do in php anyway 
Um, but I guess they, a lot of the game can be played uh, not using like a, a 3D client, like most people would expect from a game. Uh, but there is someone who's writing a 3D um, client for it uh, that will be communicating with the, the back end through an API. Right. So it sounds like it could be an interesting story just to figure out how all of that works. Cause it, mm. it, I don't know how to wrap my brain around it, really. Yeah, sounds very peculiar. Yeah, cool. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. It'll be fun to, to find out more about that. And I know she's been doing more conference talks. So um, she, she was actually at PHP Tech. And she gave two talks. Uh, so she's talking about her symphony and doctrine and, and tweak experiences. So it's been pretty cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So what have you been up to recently? Give us a quick rundown. Yeah. Um, well, I went to three conferences. Um, I, I went to uh, PHP Tour in Luxembourg, which was pretty awesome. Uh, I got the worst reviews on a talk I've ever received uh, at PHP Tour in Luxembourg. So that was awesome. Uh, the AFUP group is pretty amazing. Uh, I like working with them quite a bit. Uh, I got uh, got my first uh, uh, working with them experience uh, last fall at PHP uh, Forum PHP in Paris which is pretty cool. And th- this was their first uh, kind of uh, venture outside of France. Uh, so they, they actually had it hosted in Luxembourg, which was pretty cool. So um, I, I've also been uh, actually like wandered around inside three new countries since we last recorded. Uh, spent time in Luxembourg. I took a train uh, to Germany and then flew from Germany to Verona for PHP Day. Uh, PHP Day, uh, the reviews for my talks were much better, <laughs> which wasn't hard considering how poor, poorly received the Hawk talk was. Um, but that was a lot of fun. I spent a lot more time on these talk, uh, on these two conferences working on the talks than I have in the past, and I kind of felt bad about that. I sort of felt like I was a ghost at these two conferences because I just didn't... I wasn't able to get out and talk to people as much, which was kind of a pain. Um, but the PHPDA was pretty awesome. I got to meet a bunch of new people there. Um, and then I flew back uh, directly to tech and spent a week in Chicago for PHP Tech. Which turns out that's the last year it's going to be in Chicago. Um, or at the very least, next year it's not going to be in Chicago. It's going to be in St. Louis of all places. I don't know what's in St. Louis, but I guess it's in a new place. So um, I got to give my composer tutorial, which was pretty great. Um, got to talk to some people about that and teach some more people about compo- composer. So um, so yeah, that was the conference times. Where is St. Louis, roughly? I have no idea. You don't even know. Oh, like you I, don't I, know. If you'd ask me where is St. Louis on a map, I, I, I couldn't show you. Really. Which, <laughs> in the, uh, maybe Taylor knows where it is. Yeah, it's about half halfway up. It's about halfway up in Missouri, I think. Halfway yeah. up, okay. It's actually uh, it's actually driving distance for me, so um, I might just drive to that next year. Nice. Cool. Um, yeah, so so at Tech, I, I actually launched my first Laravel app. I wrote... Um, also, so, you know, I've been doing the OSS art things for Beck and I've been trying to give away, um, uh, different pieces at the different conferences and mm-hmm. I didn't do any at, um, PHP tour or PHP day. And I was pretty, pretty bummed that I wasn't able to do that. We didn't have enough time to prepare to, to bring stuff across and I didn't really have enough room to bring anything over, Yeah, but Beck was, Beck was able to bring a big, huge, uh, sheath of paper. It was just like, she had. I think she had two of everything that we were we have uh but it's been kind of a pain to try and um like tweet to people and say tweet me if you want one and tell me which one you want it's just a real pain so um i've been wanting to build an app for it for a little while and the the day before uh tech finished i had the idea to uh, write an app to do it and i kind of wanted to challenge myself 
I wanted to see if I could actually ship something for a change. So I said, I'm going to build a raffle app and I'm going to build it uh, as quickly as I can so that I can use it tomorrow to give away these art pieces. So I built my first Laravel app from end to end and um, I did it in like uh, eight hours probably and launched it Friday morning, the last day of tech and probably got 50 or six, 50 or 60 different people submit to get in the drawing, which was awesome. Yeah. And you know the the back end was pretty pretty whack. <laughs> uh, it didn't do a whole lot, and the, uh, the 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 drawing process was basically um, refreshing a screen that every time you refreshed it, it would randomize all the entries for each option, and then I would just pick the top two manually. But right. it worked, and it did it it saved me a lot of time. So um, yeah, at PHP Tech, I launched my very first end to end Laravel app, which was pretty awesome. So. Um, and that's a, and I put a little landing page on it to see if anyone else was interested in it. And I haven't gotten too many hits on that, but it was still a fun project. So, hmm. um, so yeah, other than that, um, I've been working on ninjagirl.com, which is my, was actually the first level app I started and it's now, it's now actually live and she's been using it, but we haven't published it to the world yet. So we haven't really told people, but, um, previously she had all of her artwork available on Etsy. And, you know, Etsy's is a marketplace and she gets some traffic there, but um, you lose your branding like you you're it's Etsy at that point. Yeah. Um, so uh, so we're going to see if we can get some more sales and get more traffic to her actual website now. Um, we're using Foxycart for the the, ship, uh, the shopping cart just because that was a lot easier than trying to build one or even try to bring another, um, you know, product management system in. And it let us be really flexible with how we display things. So, so it's that's been going really well. I've been super excited about that. I've tried three or four different iterations of this using different frameworks and different design things. And I just basically put all of that away and said, I'm just going to make this work. And uh, I've had pretty good success with it. So I've been pretty excited about it. So I'm, I'm super excited about Laravel right now just because I've been able to go through and actually ship two products or shoot two complete applications in pretty much two weeks which, you know, I haven't done anything like that in, on my side projects in like, what, two years that we've been yeah. talking about it. I haven't done anything. So um, I was pretty happy. I've been pretty, pretty happy about it. As you could tell, I'm uh, kind of rambling excited. on just because I'm just pretty, I've been pretty excited with, yeah. with actually making progress. No, I mean, definitely. I, it, it's something I think I've mentioned to you once or twice before. You needed, you needed a quick win at some point with mm -hmm. uh, a side yeah. project. So I'm glad that uh, those two projects got off the ground. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. So, yeah. so that's been taking up all my time. How about you? Well, I was going to say about Taylor firstly. What have you been up to oh, recently? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been um, working on documentation for like three weeks straight lately. Um, and so doc documentation has always been kind of like a... Uh, it's always been something I've I've considered a selling point for Laravel. But as I read through the documentation gearing up for the 5.1 release, which is just next week... I realized that the documentation was not as good as I was under the impression that it was. <laughs> it was just, I, I guess, um, you know, when you write, when you write your own library, of course, um, you take a lot of things for granted in the documentation. You don't <clears throat> tend to read them as a newcomer to the, to the library would. Mm. So I went through every page and just really meticulously read through every line, every paragraph and basically, um, not really like rewrote, but just fleshed out pretty much every page with a lot more um, examples. And so I, I would say I probably put a solid, you know, 
100, 120 hours into documentation the past few weeks. And I'm, I'm really excited about that because that just makes a huge difference for, um, for people adopting the framework and for having a good experience and not, you don't want that first experience to be, you know, super frustrating. So it's kind of your first impression. So I'm hoping that pays off. Um, I'm sure I'll still get people saying that the documentation is lacking, but I think it for most people, hopefully it will be a, a pretty solid improvement. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds, uh, sounds very impressive uh, amount of work you put in. I think one of the problems I have with uh, documentation is you don't, you don't really live in the docs. You know, you live in the code day to day when you're making changes, right. you've been proving things. And then it, the docs, I always forget because you just not, I'm not in them day to day. And when I do go into documentation to fix something or change something, it's that thing where you start to notice all the other things that are uh, broken in and around. You know, you read one thing, you're going to change this one thing because you know you've just done that. Uh, and then it's like just uh, cascades and cascades and cascades. So I end up doing quite a few. I mean, my documentation is just kind of bus factor things for the, the work I do, whereas yours is obviously a bit more important to the to the project as a whole. But yeah, kind of cool. Other than that, I um, you know, that's really taken up a lot of my time. Um, you know, and just been gearing up for the next release, um, which is actually the first um long-term support release for the framework so that's uh, that's the first one like i said so it's a unique release for us and it's based on the symphony lts um for because we use http foundation and routing are kind of our two main symphony components that we use yep um so i think people are are excited about that and you know i'm interested to see how that affects um kind of the framework's perception i guess um maybe um will encourage you know, some businesses that might have been cautious before adopting something like Laravel and they feel more comfortable with um, something with a guarantee of longer support, they might, um, you know, they might look harder at it or give it a second look. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? The LTS side of things. Because, I mean, I've seen I've seen some people with a fairly vocal feedback about the about Laravel and they've mentioned that long term support thing. Um, and I guess it comes down to use cases now i I imagine like agencies it's not too much of a selling point uh but you might buy into those more enterprisey apps you know those those apps that people are expecting to be maintaining for years to come um and lts could really be a good selling point for them um and there are a few i i talked to a few um shops that do say they do 90 percent of their apps in laravel for the clients that come to them but um, every so often they get a, they, their client actually requests something with a long-term support. And right. so they're forced to use like symphony for the other 10% that require LTS. So that might give them an opportunity if they just want to focus on Laravel, if that's something they want to do, then, um, you know, that's something they can do now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, again, it's, uh, it's not something I've experienced myself, but, uh, um, I guess there must be some people out there now. It it does bring uh, Laravel that one step closer to Symphony um, in terms of that support. I mean, the one thing that I always think that Symphony sort of will have over Laravel in terms of that kind of support is the sort of really enterprise support, uh, which is backed because with Symphony backed by Sensio, who are a. I mean, I know Laravel is a company, but it's you know you are the company is in a, in a way, aren't you? Uh, as far as things like that go, like uh, I know in the past you've mentioned sort of like you'd be happy for other people to take on LTS of older versions of Laravel and stuff, and they, other people could sell services like that. I don't know if that's kind of. I think 
that would be possible if you had someone um just um now that the, since the LTS is going to be an official thing, but like with with Sincio, like you're saying, like you know they have a whole a whole higher level of support where you can actually call people on the phone and yeah you know have real support. Um, I think someone could set that up as a business for Laravel. I don't know, you know, I guess it would have to be someone that the community at large trust, um, quite a bit. Um, but I don't know. I, I like you said, I, you can't do it with just one person, but, no. um, it's an interesting thing. And that's definitely, um, a, a cool aspect of symphony the whole, um, the whole, uh, Sincio guru thing where you can hire uh, a guru or have phone support or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and in a similar way, um, I know of at least one other shop, uh, KNP Labs. I mean, they're uh, predominantly they're not actually associated with Sensio or Symphony itself, although they have many contributors. But they are a large consultancy. Where I know, if if for for example, I built a Symphony app and it required scaling or it required something, you know, or even if you required uh, contractors who were specialists at Symphony, that's where you could go. And I think um, Laravel doesn't quite have that at the minute. But this LTS to me is like one step in that direction do you know what i mean like yeah yeah definitely it, it definitely is a step in the right direction um and it makes sense now given the kind of the framework is more mature and it's i think this will be four it'll be four years old uh actually this month is the the month that came out um so four years ago uh, congratulations thanks <laughs> so, um i think yeah uh, at the madison php conference uh madison php user group you listed a slide that showed your first open source contribution. Was that in that yeah. slide? How long ago was that? Oh, that first open source project I wrote was in 2010, and it was a um, it was a dependency injection container for CodeIgniter. And the funny thing about it is, a lot of the core code from that injection container is still really the same container code in Laravel five, um, kind of the basis of how it works and. Mm-hmm. That was, um, it was released on Google Code, actually. It wasn't even on GitHub. And it wasn't very well received or widely <laughs> received, but um, it was like a reflection-based IOC container, you know, where you can type in something and it will mm-hmm. reflect into the class and automatically inject it. Mm. Nice. So so, so that was in 2010. So Laravel didn't yeah. come much long, longer after that, right? Right. So the story kind of is I wrote, I wrote that for CodeIgniter because... Um, you know, that's kind of what I was using at the time. And I was coming from .NET and there's a library in .NET called Ninject, I-N-I, no, N-I-N-J-E-C-T, Ninject. And so I wrote Sinject, C-I-N-J-E-C-T for CodeIgniter. And um, I was kind of trying to make code or bring some of those .NET things into CodeIgniter, like the dependency injection and the, the Razor templating engine. But I got to the point where I was just hacking CodeIgniter like to pieces so hard in a way that it wasn't really intended to be hacked that I just started to make my own framework. And I wasn't even aware like at the time that there was this kind of stigma around making your own framework because I wasn't even like involved in the wider PHP community. I was just kind of a random guy trying to ship some ideas. And so I just kind of goofed around and, and wrote that first version of Laravel. And I guess it became sort of like, um, it sort of became like, the project in itself. Like originally I had this idea to build this business, but then like once I got working on Laravel, I just got so like obsessed with making the framework that I sort of like left the idea alone and made the framework and then released that instead, which kind of became a business after a few years. So how how did you go about releasing it? Like how did you get your first set of users? 
So I remember on release day, I released it on a Reddit PHP, and then there was a website that was sort of active at the time called Forest. I don't know if y'all remember that, but it was yeah. F-O-R-R-S-T dot com. Mm-hmm. And I released it on those two sites. And I remember the first day it got, um, I think it got 100 downloads and it got four stars on GitHub, which I was really excited about. I told my coworkers <laughs> that I had four stars. So at least, uh, you know, three other people besides me were using the framework. Nice. Yeah, because I, 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 for a long time, was sort of just like off on my own. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of different frameworks. I had, a, I had an ORM that I'd written. I had a, uh, a spring-based dependency injection container. Um, and I never got anybody to look at it, but I never really announced it anywhere. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually pretty new to the community, um, like interacting with other developers. So I'm curious how other people do that. If if you were new to the community, what did you do? And I guess I, I've never been a Reddit person, so I, I ne- never even would have occurred to me to launch it on Reddit. Yeah, and I'm surprised. Reddit did not totally demolish it either, which looking back, I'm very surprised that they didn't like <laughs> rip it to shreds. I guess it was sort of like a, it was a different time in PHP, I guess, even just a few years ago where, um, you know, you had, uh, I think Silex was out and available. And you had Code Igniter, but you know people were more receptive to new frameworks, I think, than they are now. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised because, like that first version of Laravel, the routing was actually just an array, and the, the key was your. It was all one string, but the first characters were your HTTP verbs. So like the string would be all capital get get, and then a space, and then the the URI <laughs> path that you wanted to route. And then the value uh, would be just a closure. So it was just like one big key value array of paths and closures. It was it was pretty lame, but um, you know, somebody nice. somebody I guess liked it well, decent enough. Well, was it a different time for Reddit too? Like, has that gotten progressively more angry, or is it's has it always <laughs> been that way? I don't know. You know, I, I'm not a super active redditor. Uh, mm-hmm. I read. I actually use Reddit for different stuff than PHP. Like I'm, I'm a big basketball fan, so I keep up with the um, NBA Reddit, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, like world news. But I'm not a real, really active PHP Reddit user. Hmm. I only use it for the PHP. Um, I occasionally look at some other subreddits, but not a lot. And uh, it's kind of I use it as a bit of a, a news type thing. Um, sort of since the sunsetting of rss or should i say google reader um and you know I, i've just not done that kind of thing i used to have i used to use you know is it phpdeveloper.org is it quite a good aggregate mm. of things and and i just don't do that anymore so i, I go on there for a bit of news um but otherwise yeah i, I do comment occasionally um but i think uh, most of my comments in i try and be sort of i try and see if any if i think anything's I don't try to get into uh, arguments about who's right or wrong because uh, they never get anywhere. But I try and if if I think somebody said something a bit unjustly, I'd probably try and you know fire an argument in the other way or something. Uh, mm-hmm. But I generally don't comment too much or anything. But yeah, yeah. I, I think the the last time that I interacted on Reddit was uh, there was a Stack PHP post put on SitePoint. I think it was SitePoint, and you you actually pinged me and said, "Hey, check this out. They're talking about Stack and." I jumped in there and I was like, I should just not even say anything at all because, what? Why bother? <laughs> it's not gonna, it's not gonna change any minds of the. I mean, it's not gonna change anybody's minds if I'm gonna say, well, I, I think that that's wrong, what you're saying, or I don't think you have the whole picture. Um, 
but I did anyway. And then it, I, you know, I ended up doing two posts and I just walked away from it. Cause I was like, I'm not going to even bother doing this anymore. <laughs> I feel like I write out, I write out quite a bit of things and just delete them. And it's just yeah. why, yeah. why bother? It's just pointless to post stuff sometimes. I think yeah. that, especially that on, sometimes on Twitter. Yeah, I think that's sometimes enough though. It's kind of like uh, just typing things out, uh, especially if I'm if I if I feel like I'm going to be angry when I say it. Just typing it out is enough to sort of like calm me down, and then mm-hmm. they could just almost take the enter key off my keyboard. That'd be fine. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it just rolls around in your head, and you keep yeah, yeah. figuring out how you would say it. And yeah, so I, I've actually done that quite a bit too. But that 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 in particular instance, I actually went through and uh, hit enter a few times and. But yeah, I don't I don't do much with Reddit generally just because it's I I feel like and in a lot of ways it's sort of like fig where I used to get more involved in the in the day-to-day discussions, but yeah, I could take so much of my time. It's uh it may not look like a lot if I like write like two paragraphs, but that two paragraphs may have taken me 20 minutes to write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite to make sure I'm not saying something something that's going to be misinterpreted or whatever, you know. I I hmm. for some reason I am not very good at that. So um, that's actually something I've been working on a little bit this year is one, not trying to engage every place that I need, you know, could, um, but also trying to not spend as much time on things. And if it's going to take me more time to, to write it than, than I have, then I'm not going to write it and I'll either write it later or maybe, you know, maybe it won't be important to me tomorrow. So I've, you know, with PHP fig, I've been doing that a lot more where like, I'll look at threads and I'll see people's opinions and I don't need to weigh in on everything. I don't need to give my opinion on everything especially like in the middle of the process like it's 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 just a, a waste of time in many cases for me hmm. oh so my uh my last few weeks have been not too busy because of the whole chicken box thing so and i had a week off work which is actually nice but marred slightly by the chicken pox episode um <laughs> in which I, I just to be honest i had a week off barely touched a computer which was really nice um i did a lot with diy which was uh, rewarding but boring and uh mm. yeah before what did you do i finished the shower finally any, any avid <laughs> listeners of the show will know that i've been working on that shower <laughs> for about the shower in like a year <laughs> yeah. is, this a, is this a long t- long time theme of the podcast oh. <laughs> well rebecca rebecca said to me the other day she said i can't believe you've done it after a whole year and i was like what is that, it's been a year i couldn't believe it like um so we have two bathrooms so the 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 other bathroom which is called the kids bathroom it has like a shower head but it's not attached to the wall properly you know so you kind of like stood in the bathtub like with the shower head and so i've been doing that Mm -hmm. for nearly a year i couldn't believe it when she said it but yeah i finally got it uh got it i finished the tiling i finished the plumbing got the doors on uh everything's sealed uh, and yeah and we're enjoying a decent shower every day now it's kind of nice um nice Before that, I did migrate the site over to Amazon Web Services, uh, so I've been working on that for quite some time, and I believe I was on the verge of doing it before when, uh, the last mm-hmm. time we recorded. Uh, it it took two attempts. The first attempt, uh, we had trouble importing the database uh, into RDS, and uh, I, I we did it in the early hours of the morning to avoid this or major disruptions to the site, and uh, so I gave in. I think we packed in about half past three in the morning, uh, and we said we'll try again in a few days. Uh, I was in bed by four, and I think I woke up at five a.m. and realized what I'd done. Um, so uh, basically, I was piping the MySQL dump to uh, Amazon's 
hosted MySQL. Uh, but I was doing it from an instance that was in a different availability zone. So mm-hmm. while the uh, while the networking is really good for, in AWS, there is you know you're going to get some latency between the availability zones, and that was enough for when you pipe in you know gigabytes to MySQL for it to uh, drop out a few times on us. Mm-hmm. So the next time uh, things went to plan. And we moved over, oh. and it's been great. It's been really stable. Uh, all the automation stuff's working really nicely. So, yeah, I'm happy as Larry. So that's been nice. cool. And you've actually seen the uh, the auto-scaling stuff in action? Yeah, I mean, it happens quite regularly now. It's kind of like, at first, we were sort of watching the auto-scaling, like watching it to make sure everything came up properly when uh, needed to. Uh, now it's just, you just leave it and, you know, trust that it's all going to work, so... We don't scale. We don't scale a whole lot because we're, we're still not a massive site. But it's kind of nice that you uh, the scalings. You know, it kind of just makes sure you maintain, uh, you know, the same response rate constantly. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we know that we're going to serve all of our requests within two hundred milliseconds because if it gets too hot, then we just add another server. That's really nice. Yeah, I remember you saying that you you didn't think that you would even leverage that all that often but you you are seeing it more are you seeing it more than you thought you were going to well because cost isn't really an issue in this to us at this stage uh because we're already paying less than we were with managed dedicated hardware Mm -hmm. so i was quite happy for us to just have massive ec2 instances running you know with Mm -hmm. loads of spare capacity uh but we decided that we were quite confident in the auto scaling Mm -hmm. and i also decided that it it yields an unexpected benefit in that all systems have to be maintained and working and the master branch always has to be deployable. You know, we can't just, we can't do that thing where I'll sort of, I'll merge a feature into master and then say, you know, oh, we'll release this in a few days or, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's sort of building some engineering practices. Uh, you know, if it's going in master, it has to be ready to be deployed whenever we bring up the new servers. And it also gets us, again, you know, part of this whole thing of uh, servers are cattle, not pets. It <laughs> helps build towards that as well, you know, because, yeah. you know, I, I'm in the, I'm, a couple of times I've uh, rinsed our servers. So uh, there are a couple of uh, sort of bash scripts out there that will allow you to say, uh, go to the, the, the web server scaling group and one by one, turn a server you know bring a server up and then turn an old one off you mm-hmm. know so you recycle the whole uh and again it, it's getting me into that practice so i, I kind of like it and uh, so mm-hmm. yeah we are scaling only cool. a little bit but it's all there and all working what what kind of what kind of infrastructure do you have behind uh forge as far as like managing everything and and, and avoy actually so Forge runs on uh, four Linode servers, um, one web server, which is just a four gigabyte instance, I think, and then um, one database server and then two worker servers. And one of the workers processes all of the non-deployment stuff, so creating subdomains, installing SSL certificates, and then the other worker does exclusively deployments, uh, pushing out code from, from uh, GitHub or Bitbucket or whatever. Okay. And Envoyer is a similar setup. I think it's actually also, it might only be three servers, one web server, one database, and then one worker server with like 16 
um, queue workers running, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you don't, do you have any sort of like infrastructure management stuff? Like, can you scale up, scale down? No, I don't have anything automated. That would be cool. But um, <laughs> mo- most of my servers actually stay pretty good. They're usually only around 10 or 15% CPU mm-hmm. usage. So I haven't really gotten there yet. Okay. Yeah, with, yeah ours, so- with the scaling on ours, we, we did have to do a bit of tweaking uh, in terms of the CPU because... It's actually quite a, kind of a hard thing to to think about. So the rule the rules work kind of um, if the CPU usage, the average CPU usage over the group goes over, we have it set at seventy percent now for three consecutive minutes. Then add another server. Um, now our best guess of based on the sort of traffic levels we expected, the resource usage we expected. It, the scaling works for us, but it also kind of like just adding a new server drops us below the minimum threshold as well. So we have, so if it's over 70 for more than three minutes, we add a server. But if it's below 40 for more than 10 minutes, we take away a server. So just by adding an extra server, instantly set us off under 40%. So 10 minutes later, that server dropped. And then a minute later, it wanted to add a new one because, do you see what I mean? Yeah, uh, it's actually kind of something I hadn't anticipated, but yeah, just mm-hmm. finding that balance was kind of kind of tricky. So, um, just uh, talking about forging Envoy, I wanted to kind of get into the background of those. Now, I, I mean, I know just from what I know of you, sort of when we've spoken, or even from things like Twitter and things, Taylor, you quite you kind of uh, you really uh, you you have opinions about tools, and you 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 expect them to work. The kind of way now, and I, I remember like you, you're not like too keen on puppet or chef or those kind of things, and I I was wondering if that's kind of like the how we started getting towards forge was it that kind of uh, those tools weren't quite doing it for you, so you started uh, scratching your own itch, and then you you saw the potential for a product there or what? How how did you get there? Yeah, that's very close to what happened, and it really started um, back further with um, Homestead was sort of the first step towards forge. Because with Homestead, a lot of people were using, um, you know, either Puppet or Ansible or something like that to provision their um, Vagrant boxes. And that that works okay, but it was just like really slow to go through that whole provisioning process every time. So I, that's where I kind of had this idea to, um, you know, pre-package the whole box and then just do the, the final little bit of provisioning. Um, of actually creating the Nginx sites and stuff on your side, but everything else is already provisioned and installed. And so that makes the that makes the Vagrant boot-up process only like 10 seconds instead of, you know, several minutes. And then once I had that built, it was sort of, wouldn't it be cool if we could kind of mirror this whole environment in production so that you could have Homestead and then basically push your code out and have a very almost identical environment in in production so that was sort of the first idea for laravel forge and actually in its first iteration forge used ansible on the back end to do all of the provisioning but then i switched over to this sort of um blade templating bash conglomeration where i actually can use blade syntax within my bash scripts to do all this provisioning on the remote servers but yeah, I was very much scratching my own itch because it was just so annoying to me to have to, every time we created a server, it was just, you know, having to remember stuff and Google and dig up um, things we'd done in the past. So just automating the whole thing and 
the hardest part for me was building a UI around it because I, at the time I didn't know any CSS or any JavaScript. Um, so forge was really my first, um, sort of front end project using a real JavaScript framework, which I used angular, um, one at the time and uh, bootstrap CSS. So that was really the most time consuming aspect of it all. So I've been using Forge for a while now, and um, well, and for a while I mean maybe two to three weeks total. Um, I've I've had a problem with, um, I, I think I mentioned this in the last episode or maybe two back. Um, I have a bunch of old systems that I've been maintaining that have like WordPress on them and various systems. Some of them go back to uh, LTS eight eight zero four, I think, for Ubuntu, um, and I need to get I need to get rid of them. But getting rid of them. Uh, entails a lot of work because those those systems all have to be moved like the the sites have to be moved to a new, new location in many cases i just deleted the sites or uh set up redirects to facebook <laughs> for the facebook page for whatever company it was just because you know they, they, i mean I, I i really like decided it was important to clean up my life <laughs> with some of these old systems that i've been maintaining for people uh, some of them are like family websites for family businesses where they don't even use their URL, really. Um, they just have their Facebook page. That's where they do everything is on their Facebook page. So why am I maintaining this, you know, seven-year-old WordPress install if they aren't even using the website? Um, so anyway, while I was going through this process, I was trying to figure out how I could could make my life easier. And that's when I decided to try Forge um, to see what, what that was all about. And I found it was really super easy to... Um, basically spin up a site and uh, one of the first things I wanted to do was see if I could get Sculpin to work with it because I have a lot of these little Sculpin sites and it turns out it worked really well. Um, so like that podcast.io is now a ho uh, hosted on a Forge site. Um, basically I put, you know, if Dave or I push to master, it um, uses the push process. I customize the, the deployment script and yeah, so basically I have pushed to deploy Sculpin because of Forge, which is awesome. Um, but the the problem that I'm starting to run into, and I sort of talked to, to Dave about this the other day, was I feel like I'm putting all of this effort and energy into getting stuff on Forge. Uh, but I'm finding that I'm customizing the Nginx configuration for practically every site. Um, there's a couple of tweaks that I'm making for all of the Sculpin sites that I need to do. Um, I'm setting up custom redirects for different URLs and whatnot. And I'm, I'm starting to feel a little nervous that I'm putting all of this energy into Forge. And I'm starting to think, well, none of this is in revision control. Uh, if this host goes away, what's going to happen? Like if, if, if I accidentally delete this host on Forge, for example, I'm screwed. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. It's bad. So what, have, what, what are your thoughts on that? Or One thing you might consider doing, especially with the Nginx configuration, is put your Nginx config right in your repository source control and then mm -hmm. in your deployment script, symlink your Nginx sites enabled into your source controlled Nginx configuration. Okay. That way, every time, you, every time you push, it's going to, most of the time, you're probably not going to be changing that configuration. Right. But if, if you were, every time you push, it's automatically going to sync up you know, that configuration. And then you have your server configuration right there in your GitHub repository. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a nice little, uh, a nice little um, way to work really to have it right there and just have it automatically symlink when you deploy. Mm -hmm. Is that something that people are doing a lot of? I've seen, seen that. 
I don't know how common it is. I've seen, I know there's precedent for it. I've seen other people doing it. Um, I'm trying to remember the first place I saw that. I can't recall, but I thought it was a really cool trick at the time and I've kind of mm-hmm. always, it's always stuck with me since. Yeah. It's almost like, like uh, it's almost like a, an equivalent to the old Apache .ht access, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you'd have your normal sort of Apache config in the server and then in your repo or, well, it's in your, your document route, you'd have a HT access file that, you know, set a few specific things right there in the app. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to look into that and see if I could do that. Um, I've, I've, what I, what I was hoping for with Forge is to not ever have to SSH into the box. So it's, it's funny because I'm looking at these, these problems that I'm having as being like, ah, oh, that's, that's kind of annoying. But what it's allowing me to do is not have to actually log into these systems directly, um, which is, which has been really nice because I, I almost don't want to ever have to log into these systems. Uh, and actually, bef- bef- before we uh, decided to bring you on board, I actually had uh, on the list of topics to talk about, like the top topic was, does wanting to use something like Forge and Envoyer make me less of a developer? <laughs> because I feel like I feel like I, I am taking a step back and I'm like, I don't want to deal with all of that. And there is a little part of me that fights that, that thinks I should be like buying into Ansible or, or Puppet or something and really learning those tools. but um, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of slowly stepping away from that and getting a little, little more comfortable with it. I, I don't see it like that. I think the the problem is it's not that you don't want to deal with it. It's just that you weren't dealing with it. That's what it is. You, yeah. Because it was difficult, you weren't dealing with it, and now you've adopted mm-hmm. just another. This is Forge is just another automation tool to me. Mm-hmm. It's like it's different to Ansible. It's different to Puppet. I mean, but but as soon as you go on board with things like what is Ansible Tower and. <laughs> Uh, you know, because Ansible Towers like they host like your Ansible, Ansible file. Yeah, puppet. Yeah, yeah, that puppet server thing. Mm-hmm. And it's in a very similar way. It, Forge is similar, but it's just uh, it doesn't have the you know the provisioning tool separate. Basically, does it? Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting what you mentioned with Forge about your Bash scripts and uh, Blade templates. Because uh, one of the things uh, about Ansible for me at the minute is um, as I mentioned before, because we're going for this whole servers are cattle things some of the stuff with ansible we don't actually ever run the provisioning more than once you know what i mean we we provision and and create an image for uh, for amazon and um one of the one of the many sort of selling points of ansible is this whole sort of state thing you know where you don't tell it to create a file you tell it it's declarative in that you say that this file must be there uh and none of that stuff really matters if you're doing it for the you're only ever going to do it once. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always just create a whole new server. You know, if, if something were to go wrong with a um, with a Forge or Envoy server, I would never, like, try to rerun and, and correct everything. I would just be like, screw it and make a whole new server. Yeah. Because it's just so easy. You know, it's just fat and really easier and simpler. And, uh, you know, you, you have less worries about things getting really messed up. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's... It is so easy, and and when it when it gets easy like that, it gets easier for things where you, you know when you need a new server. So not not even just when you screw it up, but if you want to upgrade your version of PHP, you know you 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 put a new server up with the new versions, or if there are security patches that you want to test before you put live, you bring the new server up with the security patches and switch them out and things like that. And uh, so if you get used to, so without leaning on those things of you know constantly updating servers you actually get better at other things so i kind of like the idea of a, a 
getting rid of that whole sort of state-based declarative thing of Ansible and just having scripts that just create stuff, you know, mm-hmm. with bash scripts essentially. So, but with the power of the templating on top, because like what I what I do like about Ansible is the whole inventory thing, the configuration thing. The configuration hierarchy is hard to get your head around sometimes, but it is flexible. And then the Jinja templates to for everything. So, right, yeah, it's kind of interesting when I first, you know, what Bo said about you do feel bad sometimes about you want to learn like the the coolest tool or Ansible or whatever. And I feel that way a lot of times too, um, lately with like JavaScript and stuff. Um, but I guess my focus with Forge and Envoy was more like, I'm not so much, I wasn't so much worried about people learning the best tool is sort of my focus was always to help them launch a business. So I was more focused on um, not so much the technical side, but just how can I make it easier for people to, um, to ship something basically and to, and to, make money for themselves and their families. So, Cause that was always like, that's how Laravel started was I wanted to build a side business and, you know, make some extra income. And of course, you know, it'd be awesome if you can eventually just kind of work for yourself. So that's sort of the goal with every, every product I write um, is to take roadblocks out of the way for people. Yeah, I see that. And I get that. I mean, I'm fairly comfortable with it, particularly with Ansible. Um, and I've used Puppet a lot before. Um, but even so, like even though I'm fairly, what I'd consider myself fairly accomplished with Ansible, it's still not that easy to get that kind of whole infrastructure in place. You know, I mean, I, I'm using Jenkins to run Ansible when I wanted to. And I mean, Jenkins is scary enough for most people. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it really is a It's a fairly, mm-hmm. really powerful piece of software and it can do everything. But, you know, it's kind of difficult because it can do so much. And uh, so I can totally see where, I mean, Forge, the reason I don't use Forge is because I only really maintain one sort of piece of infrastructure that is kind of um, custom to us, really. Um, but someone like Bo, who is you know, maintaining quite a few systems, whether you want to or not, uh, <laughs> uh, Forge seems really ideal because it, it just seems to bring things together into, it makes things simple, but uh, is also, mm-hmm. you know, very powerful. Yeah, the um the the first maybe four or five days that I was working with Forge, my main goal was that I wanted to get that podcast up somewhere where we could both merge things to it. And um the big thing for me was that I wanted to get SSL or uh, get a security certificate on it. Um because my long-term goal is to get um the the Twitter player card going so that if someone shares one of our episode links on Twitter, you can just click on it and play. And um, one of Twitter's uh, restrictions for that is that everything that comes into that card needs to be over uh, HTTPS. So that was my goal was, can I get that podcast up on Forge? Um, Mainly because I saw there was a certificate (laughs) button that made installing certificates easy. And I had just come off of updating certificates for like three websites. And it took me like three hours to go through the process of generating the certificates, you know, buying them, activating them, installing them on the server, testing them to make sure they worked. And um, I just didn't want to deal with that anymore. So that was one of the big selling points for me for Forge to try it was easy SSL. <laughs> uh, just just put it in there and apparently it works. And, and it did. It, it worked as advertised, which was pretty awesome. Um, but the other thing I wanted to do was, um, or the other thing I needed to do was uh, get 
thatpodcast.io on its own IP address uh, because uh, it was using uh, SNI. And one of the first complaints we got after we made that, that move, like within a day, was one of the Google Android um, uh, podcast apps wasn't using SNI. So it was failing to load our feed because it was coming up as Sculpin. <laughs> so uh, I immediately had to figure out how to move that podcast that I had to its own IP, which meant to its own server. And that was easy. Like you could actually clone the certificate from one site to another. So there were all these things built into Forge that I didn't even know were going to help me that just immediately made life easier. Like I did all, like I moved that podcast from like between three different sites or three different hosts over about a week or two. And yeah, barely a week or two. Um, and it was painless. It was really easy. And I spent far less time on it than I would have if I had to do it all manually. So it definitely is saving me a lot of time and letting me do other things instead, which is awesome. Yeah, I was really excited when I wrote that SSL portion of the app because I was like, I'm so glad I'll never have to do this manually again. <laughs> if, as long, even if no one else uses this feature, I'm just so thankful I'll never have to do this again. Yeah, no, I, I use it all the time. That is that is awesome. <laughs> I, you, you reminded me that was one of the things that went wrong during our migration as well. Um, oh, yeah. So the... The server that we were using in production was quite an old. Sorry, the SSL certificate we we were we were using in production was an old one that was installed by the managed hosting company. So I didn't have the actual certificate, you know, the private key and things. But I did have a wildcard one that was ours that we got for something else. It was fairly new, and I actually brought the site up with this uh, wildcard certificate. And then you know, opened it in Chrome, and I was the the uh, the old padlock there, and the address bar was red, and I I didn't know why. I knew the certificate was good for another year or something, but it was something to do with the what was it? Was it the SHA two? Yeah, something like that. I, I think I think you said that uh, any certificate that expires after two thousand fifteen, there was a SHA one. That was it. Yeah, Google yeah. will now say is insecure or something. Yeah. So I literally scrambled to buy to go through that whole thing of buying an SSL certificate, mm-hmm. uploading it to Amazon and stuff, uh, sort of scrambling and doing this at uh, 3 a.m. You know, I was um, my office is literally connected to the bedroom, so Re- Rebecca was asleep, and I had my phone on the, the quiet, as, as quiet as it would go, but so I could see it or hear it because they uh, rapid SSL ring you to uh, verify your identity and things. Uh, so it was a bit weird, uh, especially scrambling around like that to get it done and then uh, failing with the database import anyway. So that that actually reminds me of something that I had on my list to talk about. Um, that uh, when did SSL become TSL? <laughs> Apparently, that's like the, the 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 right way to say it, and I don't know when that happened. What do you mean? Well, or, or not TSL, uh, TLS. Like oh, I don't SSL. Know. Yeah, it's, I, I was talking about SSL when this whole thing was going on, and someone said, "Yeah, apparent, uh, someone like tweeted me and said, well, actually, SSL is TSL.' And it was a, it was a well actually, but then I started looking it up, and sure enough, it it looks like TSL is is TLS. Proper, T, uh, yeah, TLS. TLS. I am going to keep saying it wrong because I'm not used to saying it yet. But yes, uh, yeah. TLS is the right way to call it now. Yeah. So we had SSL, SSL v two, and TLS, didn't we, for a long time? I think at some point everyone kind of said don't use SSL is that right I don't know I don't know I I, don't know. I, I, we, I thought they were completely different things um, but I, apparently they're, they're not like I thought like you could use TL, uh, TLS over SSL 
but uh, I, I honestly have no idea. It just yeah, it's hard enough for yeah. me to install a certificate without without having to know what it does. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it was a uh, it was Jeremy Ward who who was talking to me about that, and I, and I so I started looking it up, and I'm like, huh, all right. Uh, so about the security stuff related to to all of this, somewhat similar is um, I started moving more sites over to um, SSL or T- TLS. And so I added a certificate and I started going to the um, SSL Labs uh, certificate analyzer to see what was wrong with them because you know, or not to see what was wrong, but to see if anything was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I started to get um, errors, um, like it, it would cap me at B and I couldn't figure out why. And so then I started looking at the the best practices and that's actually a bunch of the things that I've had to do with my Nginx config on Forge. If there's about 10 lines of SSL options that are there to get me the green A plus on SSL labs. Um, and uh, so one of the things that I did that I didn't realize was going to be a problem was I enabled the SSL stapling. And that immediately, uh, so I did that for Sculpin.io, um, and that immediately blacklisted blog.sculpin.io because it didn't have a certificate. Uh, so, and I've, and that bit me again with um, Ninja Girl when I recently added that to an SSL. I, I put paste to that config in and then oss.ninjagirl.com failed. So I had to get, so that I had to get two certificates because I forgot <laughs> that if I enable stapling, I'm going to have to enable it for all of the subdomains as well. Uh, so that's kind of a weird little gotcha that I hadn't really been aware of before. I, I think you mentioned that you had just seen the SSL stapling too, and hadn't seen that before. Yeah, I did. Um, I was trying to work out what it uh, what it meant. Basically, yeah. it's, a, it's a, is it? Am I right in thinking it's the thing where the the site tells the browser only ever connect to this domain? Yep. With a secure yep. connection. Yep. So yep. your your uh, bare domain was saying only ever connect to this domain with a secure connection, and then when mm-hmm. someone went to your blog, which was on a subdomain. Mm-hmm. The browser was following the instructions and couldn't connect to that. That's right, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. But I, th- I, I think that you would have to connect to ninjagirl.com first to get that directive. Right. And then if you connect to OSS. So this was someone who had, like the first person that complained to me, uh, came to me and said, hey, blog.sculpin.io is broken. So I'm guessing they had gone to sculpin.io first. Yeah. And then, um, and it took, like, I looked at that. I'm like, I don't understand what's wrong. Like when when I first did it, I couldn't hit it either all of a sudden. I'm like, what? I don't understand. Uh, but I think it's actually part of the the configuration is that um, you don't have to enable subdomains. Uh, I, th- uh, I don't know if that changes your security writing or not, but um, that's just something that I had copied and pasted from, I think it was like the cipher list dot whatever, the, the secure, uh, mm. the list of secure um, yeah. uh, configs. And it had subdomains in its thing. So then I, when I started reading it, I'm like, oh, well, that's because I enabled subdomains too. But that's in all my configurations now. So when I copy a, a configuration to another configuration, I, I keep propagating this subdomain problem, which I don't know if I need to fix that or not. But yeah, so that, that was one of the things that I ran into. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that I, I, I was able to do when I moved to Forge was um, enable Speedy, um, which has been like painless for me. Like I'll, all I add is Speedy to the the listen directive and it works and so you can go to speedycheck.org on all of my websites and because we did a whole talk or a whole episode on um http2 um yeah upgrading a site with nginx is as easy as adding speedy and it works 
pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, HTTP2 can't come soon enough for me. Mm-hmm. And then I might have to, I might be able to skip learning all of that, you know, that front end build tool stuff that I've mm-hmm. been avoiding for so long. You know. <laughs> Won't need any of the grunt and the gulp and the, the other stuff and the, what is it, Bower and uh, what, yeah, and all those things. <laughs> I don't actually, I don't understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I read a, I read a whole article on um, how to use NPM as a build tool, uh, which, you know, is still one step above a makefile, which I know that you're a fan of makefile and bash scripts. Um, but this person had basically walked through all of these tools that have been added that basically, like, fix one particular problem that someone is trying to solve, like Gulp and, and Bower and, well, at least Gulp and Grunt, I think, are the two that, that are the big culprits there, that they're they're JS JavaScript frameworks to do one additional thing better than the previous generation of JavaScript build tools. Mm. Um, and and uh, the boast was basically just do it all in uh, NPM. And it was it was kind of an interesting read. So I'm I'm going to try and look at that a little bit. Um, that was actually with my my first uh, the first two Laravel apps that I've built. Um, I had a lot of help from Jonathan Reining. Um, he he posted a quick little tweet. Uh, I think uh, Chris uh, Chris Hart just asked about testing in controllers or how do you test a controller, and he responded by saying, "I don't test a controller because my controller is one line." Uh, well, it was a paraphrase of what he said, but then he included an image of what his controller looked like, and there were a couple of things that jumped out at me that I liked uh, or that seemed interesting to me, so I wanted to follow up on that. So I asked him about it, and um, I was getting ready to fire up these first two Laravel apps, and I was like, "Can I can I get some help?" So he just tarred up that application and sent it to me, the one that he had been showing. And it was a little side project that he'd been working on. Um, it may have been for a client. It may not have been. It was, there was nothing, there was no um, secret sauce in there. So it was just a, it was basically a, a bare bones Laravel app with a few controllers built. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to like walk through that and it's been really helpful to have a, a reference app to build. And um, yeah, it, it was uh, really, really really nice how that worked and so i've had a lot of help from him um i don't remember what i was talking about <laughs> i'm like three i'm three stories deep now someone should stop um, me. <laughs> no i'm not sure either oh gulp 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 all right uh so basically he had uh extended the the, the main laravel build uh by adding bower uh and grunt i think and i got so lost between um the 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 package.json, the bower.json, the gulp file, all of these things. I didn't I didn't know what any of them was doing anymore. I'm like, I, I don't know. I and I tried to run it on Forge and Forge timed out on the NPM install. And then um after I got it installed correctly, um or after that first time, it would uh the the Bower install or the NPM install, uh Bower wouldn't run. So it would just fail. So basically none of my my dependencies were getting installed for the the front end stuff. It was a real pain. I didn't. Like, I didn't want any of that. So, um, so I'm going to take a look at this other system for building it. So I don't need to use Bower or anything. And maybe I'll just find a way to do it from the command line and just do, you know, make front end or something because you know it just it's caused more pain than than being useful at this point. Yeah, I think with the, with all that stuff, it's my version. Right, some people when I when I say I don't really want to get into Grunt and mm-hmm. Gulp and I think some people think I have an aversion to having all that stuff, being dependent on all that stuff. And I'm not, I don't, I don't mind being dependent on all that stuff. 
as long as it's all working, <laughs> it's when it goes wrong, which is like usually happens for me because probably because I'm inexperienced with it and I'm not quite sure where mm. it is. And part of me, there's definitely some bad vibes there from earlier on in uh, the Node.js sort of uh, lifetime, you know, because NPM was a bit, it was difficult uh, in the mm. early days because people were iterating so quickly. Things were changing mm. so often. Um, so, yeah, um, as long as things go okay, I think it's great. But I'm, I'm right in thinking Laravel has like some, uh, like something over the top of that stuff. What is it actually yeah. under? It's called Elixir, isn't it? But what what is that right. wrapper over? It sits on top of Gulp, and basically it's just a way to do the average stuff you're typically going to want to do, like compile maybe SAS or less, combine a few JavaScript files, spit it all out into one file. You know, it's very common use cases. It has, um, <clears throat> I guess that's pretty much it. You can do CoffeeScript, Browserify, which I still don't even know what Browserify is, but it can <laughs> apparently do that. Um <laughs> And the new thing with Laravel, which, you know, comes out next week, is it can do the ECMAScript 6, which is apparently is like fancier JavaScript, people tell me. Um, <laughs> but it can, it can do that out of the box. So if you say in your gulp file that you want to combine these scripts, it just will automatically, if there's any ECMAScript 6, it will convert that into like um, JavaScript that you can use today, I guess, in, in hmm. today's browsers. Yeah, I think yeah, so I... On, I actually looked at Browserify uh, just because I had no idea. I'm like, what do you mean Browserify? Like, how are you going to Browserify a, a CSS file? Isn't that what they're for? <laughs> Browsers? <laughs> Why am I going to well, Browserify I, it? People always tell me like it lets you use uh, it lets you use like the require and component stuff in the front end, but I don't even know what that is either. So that still doesn't really help me. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a very good JavaScript developer. Yeah, the, the way that I looked at uh, when I, when I looked at it, what I took away from it was um, a lot of times you have like the the CSS uh, uh, the new fancy CSS things have like browser specific extensions like the mm. you know the the WebKit dash whatever and the you know all those browser specific extensions um, and from what from, from what I read, Browserify will take a, a plain CSS directive and add those for you. So that you don't have to add those anymore. So if you want to do like font scaling or something, you can just say font scaling, whatever, and then it will add all of the browser specific extensions for those for you. So you don't have to add them again. I but, gotcha. Um, I it may it may do a bunch of other things as well, but that was the main thing that I took away from it. When I say that, when I say that I'm not very good at JavaScript, I don't want people to think that oh crap, why am I using Elixir? I didn't write Laravel <laughs> Elixir. Like I, Je Jeffrey Way wrote that, so um, you know you don't have um, you're not following a blind leader there. He knows a lot more about front end than I do, so don't be too worried. <laughs> nice. So uh, we talked a bit about Forge. Do you want to get into? You've started using Envoy, right? Do you, I mean, maybe Taylor. Do you want to give us a little intro of uh, how you started out with uh, Envoy, like you did with uh, Forge, and then Bo, you could tell us about your experience with it so far. Yeah, so Envoyer is a similar kind of scratch my own itch story where I was working at um, a company called Userscape at the time where we build a help desk called um, Snappy. And of course, with an app like a help desk or a lot of different apps, you, you really can't even have it go down for even just a few seconds because emails are coming in all the time and it interrupts people that, you know, pe companies have customer ser service people who are in the app all day and they don't like to be interrupted you know, for 30 seconds at a time while we deploy updates to the app. So 
we wanted to do zero downtime updates with our app, which is thankfully not um, super hard to do with PHP really. So um, what Envoyer does is again, just sort of put a UI on top of this process of when you deploy, it actually creates a new release folder and then um, clones down all your code into that new folder. And then at the very last second, switches a symlink to that folder to point, you know, your active website to that new release. So it's a very typical sort of um, Capistrano type way of deploying code with zero downtime. Some other cool features of Envoyer though, like on top of that are after you deploy, it does some post-deployment health checks where it pings your site from several different regions around the world. And that will actually detect um, SSL certificate issues too, because um, if you have sort of um, like a missing intermediate certificate or something, that's going to give you an alert that something is wrong with your site, um, which bites people quite a bit actually. And then also it has a cron monitoring thing where you can tell Envoyer, I want this cron job should run like every 10 minutes. And it gives you a, a unique URL that you kind of tack on to the end of your cron job. Either if you're just using like a raw cron file, you can just have your command and then, you know, two ampersands and then a curl call to this URL so that it curls when the job is done. Or if you're using Laravel's job scheduler, there's like a then ping method that you can give a URL. But anyway, if it doesn't hear from that job after a specified time frame, it, you know, sends a message to your Slack channel or to your HipChat channel or whatever and says, hey, we haven't heard from this cron job in a while. You might want to check on things. Um, so it's got a few tools besides deployment, but the main selling point is zero downtime PHP deployment. And yeah. of course, I needed that with, with Forge itself because um, if Forge is down and a new deployment comes in from somebody's GitHub project, you know, I have to delay it and, and all that. So it gives me zero downtime deployment with Forge as well. Yeah, it's really cool. Just on that heartbeat thing, you reminded me of something. Um, I have a blog post ready to go, and I actually mentioned you. You call them heartbeats, right? Yeah, heartbeats. Yeah, I, I mentioned that at the bottom because um, I'm now using Jenkins to run all of our cron jobs. So Jenkins connects to one of our worker servers via Ansible and fires the script uh, and it's really neat uh, and it, again it's one of those things where Jenkins is really powerful and cool but it's kind of it's a bit of a goliath for this kind of thing but it um, it's really nice for us because uh, I get uh, a history of the you know how the cron job ran at certain times I get the console output stored for me and the stuff like that it's really cool uh, but yeah at the, at the end of the blog post I mentioned you know something like uh, the heartbeat from uh for Monvoy, is a kind of like a cool alternative. Like if you don't want to have to manage your own Jenkins stuff, it's because that's the thing. It's like um, I think there's a, a system called Deadman Snitch or something. It's that kind of thing where you, as long as something's going all right, you don't want to be you don't want to be notified every time it goes right, but you do want to know when it goes wrong, right? Yeah. So how are you finding Envoy with Bo? Um. Well, I so I was doing everything with Forge at first. And so I deployed these these applications, and uh, Raffle was sort of just there. It didn't really do much um, after I used it that that one morning. So I didn't do like live deploys or anything. But right after I launched NinjaGirl.com, um, I was I was actively clicking around and trying to do things in the site to make sure everything was working right. After we, you know, switched over from her old IP address to the new one with the new site, um, and I pushed uh, pushed a code change. And uh, the site was down for like five seconds. 
which wasn't a big deal. I was just clicking around. All of a sudden, I got a broken page. You know, whoops, something's wrong. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not good. <laughs> you know, and you know, it was only it's only like that for like five seconds. But I realized that um, I was probably going to be doing a lot of code changes over the next you know couple of days, and more more often than not, um, over the first two weeks, she's going to be uploading stuff and actively managing things. So I didn't want her to lose data while she was pushing it. And it's not super critical. It's not a super busy website. Um, you know, if she had to click reload again to repost, you know, an image for her for her artwork or whatever, that wouldn't be a huge deal. But it did give me an excuse to try Envoyer uh, because the whole zero downtime thing, I realized that that would probably be a good thing. Um, and I had checked out some of the layer casts on Envoyer and Forge. And I had seen specifically the one for migrating from Forge to Envoyer. And it looked really simple from the video, but I ran into a couple of problems. I actually ran into a problem with Forge. Um, and I, since I have you, I can ask you in person. Um, I've configured a brand new Forge instance. I set up all of the environments for it. And then I added this, the app. Yeah. And what I think happened is that blew away all of my environment. <laughs> yeah, I hate that about Forge. That really sucks in Forge. <laughs> I need to... I, re I really want to port the Envoyer environment management, that whole mm -hmm. like panel over yeah. to Forge because it just makes so much more sense. Yeah, because it was a pain to add that information in the first time. And so I, it, it, was, yeah. uh, it was interesting because at first I didn't know what was going on until I started clicking around. I'm like, why is it complaining about the application key or whatever it was complaining about? And then I clicked to the tab and I'm like, I know I put that in there. It's completely empty. Where did I put it on a different server? Um, so uh, so that, that was the Forge thing. The Envoyer thing, on the other hand, um, it wasn't clear to me that, you know, so I had her site up and running. I had the environment set up. When I moved to Envoyer, it looked like it was going to be an easy thing. But the very first deploy, it cleared the environment. <laughs> and I hadn't set up the environment in Envoyer. So I had the same problem. I'm like, why is it complaining about the application key? And I looked and, and the in that time, Forge had the application key still there. So all of that information was there. So I, I had this I had this recurring problem with getting the environment set up. So the the Envoyer uh, migration was super fast um, and super easy, except for the environment thing. That was the big kicker for me. Um, and the other thing that wasn't clear was I had to deploy once in order for the environment to work because the yeah. So there were there were just a couple of things, but you know, within like five minutes, well, after five minutes downtime, I I've had not had any problems. It's all been been easy since then and even that was super simple so yeah as soon as i get laravel 5.1 out there's two things really i want to do with um forge and envoyer or mainly forge one is improve that environment situation drastically because it's just so bad and then two um bake back in the aws support it used to be in forge where you could actually you know there's a tab for amazon and you could provision mm -hmm. EC2 servers right there, but there was some breaking change with the AWS SDK. And at the time, like I was not working full time on Laravel, I was just working part time. And so I just had to basically disable it um, because I just didn't have the time because I was working on, um, you know, I was working on work stuff and mm -hmm. I just never got around to sort of updating it and putting it back in. So finally, I'm going to fix that back up. Do you, do you have stats that you can talk about as far as like how many users you have or how many hosts of each type that you're, that Forge is managing? If, so, if not, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just looked um, earlier. 
um, some interesting stats. So the biggest Forge account manages 58 servers, the biggest individual account. Mm -hmm. um, let me look at each provider because that actually is kind of interesting. Mm. It is, let's see. Do a quick query. It's vastly, um, DigitalOcean is uh, vastly the most popular, but it looks like there's about 6,500 DigitalOcean servers. Wow. Uh, there's almost 1,000 Linode servers, and there's still 88 AWS servers that are left over from when Forge supported AWS initially. Mm -hmm. And then there's almost 1,500 just custom VPS servers because there actually is just a custom tab in Forge mm -hmm. that lets you plug in any IP address, basically. Um, which is kind of a headache, actually, because every VPS host just has some little quirk about mm. their their Ubuntu images. But anyway, mm. yeah, so DigitalOcean, by far, the most popular. Mm. They must be pretty much killing it, DigitalOcean, at the minute. I mean, it's, mm, I mean, yeah. it's so good. Um, I mean, I, I use it for all my personal stuff and side projects and stuff. Uh, the only reason I didn't use it for work is because of uh, sort of like the 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 free redundancy things that uh, Amazon Web Services give you. Uh, but it, I can only imagine it's a matter of time before DigitalOcean start offering things like, uh, you know, managed uh, load balancers and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Because uh, the, the, the growth it must have been huge. Uh, it's probably a good company to be in at the minute. AWS just has such a powerful ecosystem that it's it's really nice. I think just maybe the control panel intimidates people sometimes, and so they, they oh, yeah, go with DigitalOcean. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, for for little things, you know, if you're just doing a one-off thing that doesn't need to have huge infrastructure behind it, definitely DigitalOcean is just easier just to, to fire up something. It's cheaper, it's easier, it's straightforward, you know it works or not. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I haven't, I have probably three or four uh, AWS EC2 instances and I, I just, I don't like going there at all. Because every time I go in there, I have to figure out how to, you know, navigate their UI to, to get to it. I don't have any of the command line tools set up to to do anything, mm. so I don't know. DigitalOcean yeah. is just super simple. I must admit, my uh, AWS experience recently has probably been vastly improved because I've hired a uh, hired somebody <laughs> like uh, a former colleague, uh, Steve. Uh, we brought him in as a contractor, and he's only doing. I think he's been billing us maybe two to four days a month, so he's not doing loads, but he's he's always in our Slack channel and he answers all my questions when I have them and. Uh, he set up most of our networking on Amazon. So that whole sort of, he laid out the networking infrastructure because mm -hmm. we use VPS and, you know, so between the whole uh, different layers of security and things. So I've I've kind of had that him to sort of mentor me and uh, I've learned really quickly. Uh, there's mm -hmm. nothing I don't really understand, but just having it laid out in front of me made it a lot easier to, to grok, uh, if you see what I mean. So, cool. But yeah, I mean, digi DigitalOcean, the, it's so easy for just about anything that's not yeah. doesn't require anything like the Amazon sort of experience. I um the the reason I uh, well I got a I got a Linode instance uh, right when I started using Forge, and the reason that I wanted to do that was to get mul uh, multiple IPs uh, because I uh, wanted to have some of the SSL hosts have their own IP address, and uh, DigitalOcean doesn't offer more than one IP for uh, a droplet. And Linode does if you have justification and SSL certificates are still uh, justification, apparently. Uh, but once I started seeing what that actually looked like, it started to become more of a pain in Forge because it required um, 
modifying each nginx configuration to have the ip address in it mm. um the the correct ip address and it also required logging into the system with ssh and configuring networking and at, at the end of the day i was like i really only care about that podcast.io being on its own at this point um so that's five dollars a month versus three dollars plus three dollars extra on top of a ten dollar linode uh plus extra headache of configuration so that's yeah. actually the reason I migrated between, like, I migrated a couple of the SSL hosts three times from the original to Linode and then back again. And then a couple of them I had to, I shifted off onto other servers. All in all, for how much management I've done on those servers, like how much moving, I've been really pleased with how easy it's been. Um, and because I'm treating it, you know, like you're talking with like the, the cattle versus pets, um, especially with the Sculpin sites, it's been amazing. Like, if I wanted to fire up the same Sculpin site on a new host uh, using Forge, it takes like maybe maybe two minutes tops. And if I were trying to do that any other way manually, it would just it would probably take me an hour. And even even launching Raffle, I know that and Taylor said that getting people from the point of just starting their business and launching a product or whatever, um, like that took me all of five minutes to to launch. Once I had the code ready to go, when I put it online, you know it I told it which github repo to get and it just worked it was amazing so yeah so that's uh that's one of the things with laravel right this the one of the outset is to to the whole developer experience and i think uh i think that's kind of a sort of hit the php community a little bit uh, mm-hmm. at least definitely in the symphony world i mean there's the whole sort of it's called the developer experience initiative or something in symphony because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that has been definitely an issue for symphony um it got adopted quickly by sort of the enterprise shops and a lot of the very advanced programmers you know whereas people like even like myself i don't consider myself advanced and symphony is the framework is you know it's difficult to pick up and learn whereas laravel kind of went the opposite way and you went to you went for the power but you also tried to make it so everybody could pick it up and then you've built this sort of environment around laravel to make everything easier around laravel and i think symphony is sort of got a bit of catching up to do in that respect um i think from what i've gathered they're, they're making some progress in some things but then just every now and then some technical things seems to set things right back um <laughs> for me i've i've for while i'm not experienced with the framework i i feel like i'm fairly seasoned with the symphony components and uh, i recently upgraded to 2.7 uh, for our, our app and it was hard for me um now the whole uh have either of you actually read the symphony uh, backwards compatible sort of policy thing it's it's really confusing it's not confusing it's actually laid out quite well but it's very easy to forget when you're because if you sort of replace a component with your own implementation of one of their interfaces there's no sort of guarantee unless that's tagged with the API annotation. There's mm-hmm. no guarantee that interface will stay the same or do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I upgraded to 2.7 now and ran my test suite and I just got bombarded with uh, deprecation notices everywhere. And I know I could turn them off, but it kind of like thinks it's going to get me at some point because even mm-hmm. though it's only deprecated now, things could slip any time in a point release or you don't really know. Yeah. Uh and yeah, it was hard work and just to look at um and I actually one of the problems was with the form component which is a a ghastly thing anyway. Um so powerful, so I don't I don't mean that as a 
a slight at the at, at Bernard or any of the devs. It's it's one of those things in Symphony where it's ridiculously powerful, but that makes it ridiculously complicated as well mm-hmm. or complex, whichever way you want to look at it. And uh, I went to look to see if the documentation had anything to give me a clue, and it's literally not being updated. Uh, now, again, it's not a slight at Ryan and the docs team because they do a really good job, but part of me is thinking, you know, I don't know, 2.7 is an LTS, and yeah. should they really be shipping an LTS without letting the docs team catch up a little bit? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because... I think yesterday Paul Jones tweeted something about uh, a blog post he had about uh, backwards compatibility and interfaces and classes and things. And uh, I, I actually gave him the link to the Symphony one because it, it's really detailed in terms of what they support and what they mm-hmm. do, you know, the backwards compatibility promise. And if you extend one of their classes, what is, you know, what they promise to at least stick to and stuff. And it's kind of hard some of, sometimes when they make uh, those sweeping changes. Yeah. Yeah, people don't. A lot of people forget how much, um, how easy it is to break stuff because we get PRs um, pretty often on Laravel, you know, and even just like adding an optional parameter. But if it's a pretty common method that, um, you know, quite a few people may have extended in their own classes, then, you know, we have to turn it down, even though a lot of people are confused because the parameters at the end of the method has an optional uh, default value. And so they, they assume it's not going to be breaking, but it actually is. Yeah, well, that's actually how I got onto this topic with Paul. He, I think he mentioned that you, that would be a breaking change to an interface, but he said it's not to a public method of a class. And I said that, well, I think it is. If it's unless you mark that class as final, you know, if you mark it as final, you've closed it for an extension. So, you know, you can make those add those optional parameters at the end. Uh, but yeah, but I said, you know, if if someone's extended it, then you will break their implementation, and even to the point where. So if they've extended it and and added a method to their child class and you then later at some point want to add a method to your class, it happens to have the same name, you've also broken backwards. Even And that seems like such a weak thing in terms of all, such an unlikely thing to happen, but it is technically a breaking change. Strange, but yeah. So just going back to uh, Envoy, I wanted to mention that... So you're talking about the... Uh, the zero downtime, how that affects, uh, how it makes it a better experience, particularly for incoming things, uh, for customers. I also like the effect it has on the engineering team because it goes along to that thing where uh, deployments like should not be an event. They should just should just be things that just happen, and it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, I got I've been using sort of the Capistrano style deployments for some time, but um, for a long while. Uh, we had sort of fairly heavy caching on the site. And the caching, the keys were linked to the deployed version of the site. So when I, even though I zero downtime uh, deployed a new version of the site, uh, it would blow the app cache when we'd get a massive stampede uh, hitting you know databases and things like that. And, I, and so I got to the point where even though I had this zero downtime deployment strategy, I was still nervous to deploy. And it always constantly built up into something. And what happened is I'd, I'd it maybe it was a Monday. Mondays are our busiest time, Monday evening. So say I'd like finish some work on a Monday evening, I'd be like, I'd resist, I'd be hesitant to deploy at that time just because, you know, we've got a lot of traffic. And then, so I'd leave it. And then the next day, 
rather than just deploying it first thing in the morning, I'd probably do a bit more work and a bit more work. And what I'd end up doing is deploying maybe three or four features at once, which I didn't really want to do because, you know, if something goes wrong, it's much harder to track down and so on and so forth or roll back. And don't go into to something like a, to make sure making deployments like is, a, is just something that happens throughout the day, all day, as easy as clicking a button. It just makes for much better better engineering practices, in my opinion, anyway, and something to strive for. So having a tool like Envoy do the hard work for you is really cool, I think. Yeah, it's really nice. And even Envoyer, Envoyer deploys itself sort of from another um, kind of staging domain. So when I push a change to Envoyer, the kind of the staging version of Envoyer deploys out the production version, um, which is really fun and um Kind of a neat way to set up and kind of dog food itself. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I actually had another issue when I moved from Forge to Envoyer that um, wasn't clear to me. And, and like I said, I watched I watched the the really awesome video on this is how easy it is to move, and for the most part, it was spot on. Um, the other <laughs> thing is, that this is starting what? to look like you know, I invited Taylor on here like a couple of hours of personal uh, support. My bad. No, but. Um, <laughs> And, and I'm just curious if I missed something here because uh, it didn't run migrations mm. and the, the forged install did migrations out of the box, right. like the, the default yeah. deploy. And so th- there were just a couple of things that, that, that didn't, didn't work like that. So I, but then I started looking at the service, or like the, the, the additional hooks, like I wasn't sure what the, 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 the uh, heartbeats were for at first. Mm. And I kind of, I, it wasn't clear just looking at the UI, how to use those. So I actually right. had to watch a video on how to use that. Um, but the the migration stuff I sort of figured would just be built in because I was built into to forge. Right. Is, is that not built in on purpose or is there a reason for that? Yeah, it is it is intentional. And it's because um I wanted to try to make Envoyer not to not be marketed as tied to Laravel as strongly mm-hmm. as Forge is. Especially since okay. Forge Forge sits right on the Laravel domain, you know, forge.laravel.com. Right. But Envoyer has its own domain. And um I mean, even still to this day, some people are confused that Forge is just for Laravel projects. I, I still get that um quite a mm-hmm. bit on email. And so I wanted to try to avoid that confusion from the beginning with Envoyer, okay. um, you know, and, and be more of a general PHP thing. That's interesting. So, so you do, okay. Interesting. Okay. So, so I, I so, always just set up the migrations in a deployment hook, like you're saying. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so you you've actually had problems with with marketing, branding things for Forge then, and and Envoyer, you're doing it differently, specifically to to avoid looking like it's just for for Laravel apps. Yeah, I was curious. You know, would it would it make a big difference? Um, and you know, I don't know. For Envoyer is sort of a it appeals to a smaller uh, market than Forge because you know lots of people create servers, but not everyone cares enough to pay an extra ten dollars a month for that zero downtime deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, you know, if it's if it's helped, but yeah, that was the goal at least was to avoid any confusion there. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that's um. So that kind of goes back to like when I when I launched Raffle. Um, I, I had the static site thing on, on the page for a little while, uh, cause I, I basically, uh, ripped the, the liquid forms landing page and pu- pu- pulled out everything form related. And, um, 
I kind of wanted to to have the raffle thing be something that could be added to someone who would normally have like a static site. Like I didn't have an app for that. Or I didn't have a website, a dynamic website or anything for for oss.ninjagirl.com, for example, or, you know, I wanted to have like a one-off thing for Sculpin, which is a, a static site. So I thought, how would you do raffles or some sort of giveaway if you have a static site? Um, so I, I included that initially, and Dave kind of kind of flagged that as, that seems like it's really out of place. Like, it doesn't seem like it, it goes here. Um, I sort of see those as sort of similar things where like, like Liquid Forms or something like that, I could see that being like highly branded towards static sites. Whereas, you know, raffle, like, like Dave pointed out was, well, that really could be for anything. Like, like anyone could want to have a raffle that doesn't have anything to do with their website versus, you know, a a form solution might be something that would be more specific to people who really can't have a form solution, but have a website. So I don't know. I I think it's interesting when you start looking at uh, why people want to position things in a certain way. And I hadn't really considered that Envoyer was, was its own thing that didn't have anything to do with Laravel. Yeah, and I actually own the um I actually own forgephp.com that domain mm-hmm. and that's it's with the purpose, you know, cuz forge is not really built to be laravel specific, but if laravel, you know, or it's probably safer to say when uh laravel or is not the hottest um framework around anymore, which hopefully is a long time from now, but um <laughs> well, you know, when it, if it falls out of favor, um I want to, you know, I want to keep those two businesses going and you know, making them a little separate from the beginning, I think is good. And, and having mm-hmm. a kind of a, a fallback plan to where if I want to disconnect, you know, forge from Laravel's branding a little further, I have a, a whole separate domain, but uh, hopefully mm-hmm. that would be many years down the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, when did you uh, give up the, the full-time day job? When, how long ago was that now? Uh, January 1st was my first day working for myself. Uh, back in, uh, I guess it was August, I started working part-time August of last year. Um, so every other week I worked on Laravel and then on the in-between weeks I would work for um, Userscape. Yeah. How's that working out for you? I mean... Oh, it's pretty amazing, really. Um, It's just, there's a lot more room for experimentation, which I think is one thing. I may have blogged about this, but basically... You know, if say I spend one hour a night, seven days a week working on side projects, which really that's uh, quite a bit of time, you know, to to do one hour a night. A lot more than I manage. Yeah. So if say I experiment with something for seven hours, if that experiment goes wrong or I decide like that's not worth it, I just lost basically a whole week of time. Whereas now that may only be a one day. And so my room to kind of play with ideas and experiment and sort of like room to fail is more, um, I have more leeway there because if I do fail on an eight hour experiment, I don't feel too bad because it's only one day and not an entire week wasted. So that's really nice. And of course, just so much more time to do things. I mean, I could never spend three weeks on documentation before. I just, just wouldn't have been possible. Just too many pull requests and other stuff to Mm -hmm. do. So, yeah. So do you miss the userscape sort of environment or are you still kind of plugged into that a little bit? Um, I, I still plugged in. I still chat with my coworkers and stuff in Slack. Uh, the thing I miss more um, and the thing I even missed at userscape was actually working in person. I, I love working remote, but just being able to have like a whiteboard to sit around and discuss things was mm. really nice. 
and I feel like the communication goes so much faster when you're in person and, and the problems get solved faster. I'm not, I, you know, I don't think that totally outweighs the perks of being able to have freedom and working at home and, and all that stuff. But it is one thing I did miss. Yeah. Um, but thankfully I keep in touch with, uh, you know, my old coworkers and, um, we still chat basically every day. So that's kind of nice. That is nice. I mean, that's certainly something I miss. Uh, I mean, I'm not working for myself, but I'm working in, I'm the only technical guy, a full-time technical guy, uh, our company. Uh, so I, I don't have that kind of atmosphere and I do miss it from previous working environments. Uh, just what you mentioned there about the communication, the that whole whiteboarding thing. I think um, I think remote work and the communication for remote work because of the tools we have, I said maybe ninety five percent of the time is more than good enough, if not better in some cases. But it's that five percent when you really need to really need to get together to sort a problem out. That you can't be just being next to somebody, you know, in the room with whiteboards with any well with anything, you know, whether it's pens or stickies or just something uh but yeah i I get that and how about um i imagine because you've been remote for so long it probably hasn't affected anything like your family life it's just is that just much the same yeah it is very much the same and so like when i first started working remote um gosh did we even i'm trying to think yeah we had we had one child but that's all they remember is me working from home you know so it's very much part of their routine that when I go to the office, I come out at lunch and then I come out at five o'clock or whatever for the rest of the night. So they're kind of used to it being that way. And, um, you know, they, they're sort of just in the habit of not really, um, interrupting a lot or whatever. And we sort of have a nice little routine and pretty much at five after I'm done, I really don't, I really don't come back to, um, Laravel anymore. Like later in the night, I'll just watch like Star Trek or, or whatever and, and nice. hang out because, I've already put the time in during the day. Whereas before, like after my wife went to bed from like nine thirty to 11 or midnight, I would have to work on pull requests and stuff like that. But I don't really do that anymore. Uh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I struggle with routine. Uh, I'm, I'm usually, I don't get to work till five very often. Uh, so I'm usually downstairs by four o'clock every day preparing dinner and things. Uh, so I'm usually doing an hour or so every night on the day job, never mind side projects. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely nice. And I think I'm the same. I mean, I know you are definitely both, but um, I think Evie was, I, I worked uh, in an office job uh, with a, not a massive commute, but a decent commute uh, while she, until she was maybe one. Uh, so she won't, probably won't remember me going to the office. Uh, so she's only ever known me being at home. And I assume that's the same with you, Bo. I mean, you've, you've been, consulting from home for as long as i've known you so is yeah. that the same yeah yep um so yeah luke, luke really only knows daddy works in the basement or daddy yeah. works at the co-working space sometimes he's getting more used to daddy's at a conference for a week <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah for the most part you know i'm, I'm here all the time and yeah. they they they're you know they, i'm accessible to them if they need me pretty much any time yeah. during the day uh, today is actually going to be a, a little more of a challenge because beck isn't feeling well and uh i just got to I just got a text and she's going to hate me for this, but um, she just texted me, uh, you can rescue Luke when you are done. <laughs> so I wrote her back. I said, what does that mean? <laughs> and uh, she said that she's, uh, she's, she's not feeling very well right now. So she's just kind of curled up and can't, can't breathe very well. And mm. um, so I'm, I'm guessing he's just kind of going stir crazy up there 
trying to find stuff to do while while mom's not feeling well so so yeah every you know and you you had to take a week off because of kids last week or whatever Mm. and it just just happens sometimes that you're not going to get as much done as as you might if you were at an office and you know and i we, we talk about that a lot in our family that you know if i had a real job it would be less difficult for me to ignore luke or tell him no i can't play it's it's really it's difficult like he'll come downstairs and just want to play swords for a little bit he has a little turtle turtle shell on with uh yeah. his two Raphael size and and a, and this big plastic broadsword and dad have a sword fight with me and i'm like how can i tell him no my son wants to play swords with me that's awesome but you know if, if i weren't here neither of us would have that problem he wouldn't have to worry about dad always saying he's busy and, and i wouldn't have to worry about telling my son i can't play with him right now so of course i played swords for like five minutes uh, but you know, that was enough to get me out of my, my, my swing of whatever I was working on and, but he had fun. So mm. I don't know, it's, it comes with challenges and benefits, but I think, I think so far it's, it's definitely better to be in this position than, than not. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's interesting. I always feel bad where like, if they come to the door and they, and they want to talk for a second, like I, I always usually let them in because like, I don't want them to remember me as like this person that like could never had time for them or didn't want to talk to them. So yeah. I always usually let them in and, um, and talk to them. And like, we have a, a yard crew that comes and does uh, mows our yard and stuff. And, uh, my daughter is just like terrified of the lawnmower sounds. <laughs> and so like she comes in and sits and I put my headphones on her and she listens to like uh door the Explorer music on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's a, a little bit of office time that she gets. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that um, I I kind of sometimes say that uh, I, I say um, when I'm trying to explain to them that I really need to go back to my desk and do some work. I kind of say that you know you you're lucky that, that I'm here. Or I know it sounds all maybe sounds a bit. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to sound like big headed, but you know yeah. I kind of try to explain to them that they're lucky that I'm around so much. And I say mm-hmm. I, I mean at least they have some sort of something to anchor because Rebecca still works three days a week. And I say, when mummy goes to work, she's out of the house and you don't see her all day. And a lot of people's, you know, daddies are, are like that. You know, they go to my, I mean, I don't know what your your dads did, but my dad was, you know, he was in the office at eight and he was back home at eight every day. You know, when we were young enough, we probably didn't see, probably didn't see him during the week because he was, uh, you know, at the office so long. And then as we got older, he worked in the uh, the Lake District for us, which is about three and a half hours drive from where we are. So he stayed in a hotel Monday to Friday, and we only saw him at weekends. And I, I know some people have it much worse than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if our kids will ever really understand that, if mm-hmm. you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, well, Luke might soon, uh, if I if I end up going the direction I'm going. And I'm not sure how much I'm prepared to talk about it, but I, I might be uh, accepting a full-time job in the near future. Or rather... As I told Dave yesterday, I have accepted a full-time job in the near future. Uh, just uh, the full-time nature of it, I'm not sure when that's really going to kick in. So, um, yeah, so that that will be news for future podcasts, I'm sure. Mm. But um, I, I could end up be being in a position where I will be at an office for, for long hours and they, they won't see me a whole lot. So, I don't know, may, maybe my my situation will change and Luke, Luke's perception of, of daddy will change a little bit. And I don't know, we'll see how that goes. Mm. but oh, that would be a big change for for our family yeah definitely mm-hmm. now we should probably think about wrapping this up uh 
I was going to say before, have you both seen Avengers Age of Ultron? Yes. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, um, uh, well, I won't go into it too much then because I don't <laughs> want to spoil it. But just, Sorry. Just, just a quick uh, quick uh, phrase from you, bro. Did you, What did you think? Uh, I thought it was great. I, I, uh, I, I got to see it with my sister and, uh, and Beck when, when they were in town. And yeah, I had, a, I had a lot of fun with it. Did you think it was better than the first one? Um, I don't know if I thought it was better than the first one. Uh, I'm I'm a categorical no. I did not think it was better than the first mm. one. <laughs> uh, just I, know, I think it was I think it was good, but it was definitely not mm. better than the first one. What about was yeah. it better than Guardians of the Galaxy? Mm. I think Guardians of the Galaxy was better than this one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay. I just went, um, oh. Yeah, I you know actually now that I think about it, I had been thinking that it was going to be really hard to compete with the first Avengers. And uh, I was thinking that about Iron Man as well, that Iron Man, the very first one, uh, we've actually shown Luke Iron Man. He's seen it. We fast forward through a bunch of the scenes, but he really mm. liked it. And just watching it again, it reminded me of the very first time I watched that and how much I just, I loved that movie. <laughs> it's it's a it's a really good movie. There's one part where I, I think I still fall asleep. <laughs> or I, I think Beck has fallen asleep a few times and I just get kind of bored with it. I think it's the, one of the fighter jet scenes where it's just like it goes on and on. But the rest of the movie was just amazing. Like it was a lot of fun. It was so unexpected and great. And I, I kind of feel that way about the first Avengers. So I guess I, I would I would probably say yes. I thought that the first Avengers was better. I, I did enjoy this one hmm. as well. It's interesting what you said about fast forwarding bits. Uh, I know my friend lets his son uh, watch Guardians of the Galaxy, but fast forwards that bit with the big hammer. Oh. Uh, even though you don't actually see it. And have you both seen the film? Yeah, I've seen that one. Taylor, have I you seen? I haven't seen it. Oh, oh. I, I want, it's not really a spoiler, but uh, some guy hits another guy with a big hammer mm. uh, in the head, and even though you don't actually see it, you just kind of know. And I think it's a bit too much for the little one. So, uh, but yeah. yeah, just interesting about fast forwarding parts of, of movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of movies, Taylor uh, watched uh, Big Hero Six, which I've been dying to see again. We got to see it in theaters. <laughs> Yeah, that was a really fun movie. We watched that last night, and uh, the kids really liked it. It was a really, it was the first time that uh, James, my son, like, gosh, yeah, it's kind of spoilery, but you know, towards the end, there's kind of a sad moment. Oh, did Dave has Dave seen it? Oh yeah, I, I've, every okay. day for the past about two months. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, towards the end, there's kind of that sad moment with uh, Baymax and Hero, and yeah. James. He was sitting on the couch, and he says, "I'm gonna cry." And it was like the first time he's ever oh. like expressed a real emotion, emotion. Like at, a sad, at a sad moment <laughs> yeah. in a movie. And I was yeah. like, wow, that's pretty big. I never heard him say anything like that before. And uh, oh, so man, I guess it all, moment, yeah. it all clicked for him. Nice. Yeah, we've been, uh, that's been one that we've wanted to get again um, now that it's out on DVD and uh, we, haven't, <laughs> we haven't actually done it yet. So, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it again. It, I remember really liking it in the theater. Yeah, Rowan really likes it. Um, he's got a, a like a, Baymax uh, mask. Uh, oh, that he, he he got it uh, maybe about uh, two weeks ago, and the, that first day was amazing. He was just um, <laughs> uh, but Rowan's two, so I mean he's he's actually vocabulary and grammar are really good, but mm-hmm. sometimes when he gets set on a phrase, he just uses it constantly. And he was doing uh, a Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy, but Baymax. <laughs> so he just for about an hour he was just running around saying, "I am Baymax, <laughs> I am Baymax," <laughs> with this red mask on. Uh, but yeah, uh, he really he really likes it, uh, and he he constantly says, uh, "We jumped out of the window." <laughs> um, 
Nice. Yeah. We uh, we visited some uh, after tech. We went and visited some of Beck's friends, um, uh, someone that she uh, used to work with when she lived in Chicago. And uh, since since the last time we saw them, we've since gotten married and uh, we've both have had kids. So they had um, they had uh, little kids running around and one uh, the little girl had a Baymax uh, helmet and she had the rocket hand. Did you do? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, we don't have that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so she had the rocket hand, so she was launching that around. Yeah, and, um, Luke had his lightsabers. He had both his lightsabers, and uh, they, the ki- their kids loved the lightsabers. And we ended up accidentally leaving one there, so now they have a lightsaber, oh. one of Luke's <laughs> lightsabers. So he's a little bummed about that, but they're excited to have a lightsaber. <laughs> I wonder so, when we're going to get a new uh, Star Wars trailer. Oh, oh yeah, no. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, don't give Dave started on Star Wars. <laughs> uh, I heard. A, I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor that maybe it might be with the new uh, Pixar Inside Out movie. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's what usually a good thing to think about is sort of uh, what sort of blockbusters we're going to get in the summer, and you know mm. what they what they might attach something to. But obviously, Disney, with a hand in so many things now, they've got quite the pick of where they can you know lay that marketing trail, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, it's exciting um, though. We- uh, the last movie we saw in the theaters, as far as kids go, uh, we saw Home. Has, have Have either of you seen anything about that? No, I've seen. I I've heard of it. I've seen trailers, but yeah, it it turned out to be pretty fun. It was. Uh, so sometimes when you go to some kids' movies, you're not sure if they're going to be actually kid appropriate, if they're going to slide some things in that are, you know, adult yeah. humor or whatever. It was actually somewhat entertaining. Uh, we 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 all enjoyed it. Uh, there was a lot of singing, a lot of songs um, that were. I I didn't necessarily care for those, but it was a fun it was a fun little story. So if that's if that's still in theaters, you know that might be a fun one to bring the kids to. We like looking for kids movies that we can can bring Luke to every once yeah. in a while. My kids are really excited for the uh, Minion movie. Oh yeah, yeah. When is that coming out? I don't know. I saw the trailer for it when I went to uh, Mad Max. Funny enough, uh, they, had a, <laughs> they, had a, they had a Minions nice. trailer, but I can't remember when it was coming out. So pretty soon, uh-huh. I think. It must be quite soon. I mean, I know there are three trailers because I have to play them back to back on YouTube for the kids. <laughs> uh, uh, and yeah, our kids are excited about that one as well. Uh, can't be long. We're we're coming up on our anniversary in just over two weeks, I think. And um, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get a, a mommy daddy movie night out of it. So uh, we're, we're, we'll have to figure out which movie we're going to go to. So whatever's going to be out around June 18th, we'll have to look and see. Um, but yeah, mm. we, we haven't been able to get to movies as much as we'd like to. I've heard a lot of things about Mad Max. I don't know if that's something that Beck would want to go see. We'll have, we might have to find something else. That was a wild movie. Yeah. <laughs> just really, yeah. it was a, I, the whole script must fit on just like one or two pages, really, because there's not a lot of dialogue. <laughs> it's just a lot of, you know, crazy action and cinematography. Yeah. I, I think I read somewhere that it's like a two hour chase scene or however long the movie yeah. is. It's basically a oh, chase scene. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that's one hundred percent true. <laughs> Interesting. I, uh, yeah. I just because of that, I watched uh, Mad Max two recently, and I really like that film. I mean, I, I prefer the first one, but I was watching the film and something dawned on me that it really annoyed me. So in Mad Max two, like they they spend the whole time, like the baddies spend the whole time wanting to get into that compound to get the gasoline, right? And like one of the sort of things they do to sort of taunt the people inside is like drive round and round and round and round and round and round, and round <laughs> like the compound so if if the gasoline is such a you know if it is so desirable why are they wasting it by just driving around in circles and 
And I wouldn't mm. mind it if it was just once or twice, but it was a good five minutes of just <laughs> egregious driving around. Uh, and it really they're, bothered me. Uh, they're not, not even like hybrid cars either. They're like always yeah. like the most gust guzzling <laughs> muscle cars you can imagine. Yeah. And, yeah. They're, and they're, they're using, they're effectively using the, the gas to intimidate the people. <laughs> <laughs> to get more gas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, didn't think that one through. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, should we should we start shutting this one down? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Taylor, for coming on. Uh, it, uh, it's been nice chatting with you. I think that's what it that, that's what this show is all about is chatting. Really, uh, we didn't want it to be an interview, so, so it was really nice that you just came on and uh, talked with us. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope I didn't uh, ask too many many questions. Support bug questions. Bug, bug sounding <laughs> questions. <laughs> no, that's good. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess uh, we'll call this one a wrap. Thanks. You've been listening to That Podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox like the music you can thank grillo for allowing us to sample the track dust kingdom for our intro and outro you can find dust kingdom and other tracks by grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com spelled g-r-i-l-l-o